0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening. How's the sound? Is that okay? Sometimes my voice, the volume tends to drop, so if it's hard to hear, just raise your hand and I'll... Um, During the sitting, I was noticing something that was a little felt a little bit different for me, um, which was that I didn't have the clock. <laughs> and um, I don't know, um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but uh, sometimes during meditation, the impulse, even if we're not the one who's ringing the bell, <laughs> the impulse can come up to peak at the time and see where where am I what's going on how you know how much how much more do we have to go and um the first when I first started meditating the center where I was sitting one of the there weren't that many rules but one of the rules was no watches in the meditation hall and I hadn't thought about that in years um but it's, it's you can kind of play with it, you know, especially at home. It's a little bit of a different experience. To I mean, what I felt, it was a kind of a letting go. And to give myself over to this experience. And often, often when I'm sitting up here or on retreat, uh, part of my responsibility is to ring the bell at the right time. So I'm kind of, I'm tracking the time, both, you know, Occasionally, maybe glancing at the at the clock, but also there 's a kind of inner tracking that 's going on, um, and I think often we track time by our thoughts, you know and how often I mean it's not a conscious thing necessarily, but you know we know that thoughts are arising and passing over time and one of the interesting experiences of meditation can be when, um, when the, the activity of thinking begins to kind of thin out a little bit. And it kind of, that's how I imagine it. It's not like there's some sudden on-off switch. But it kind of, you know, something starts to thin out. And then it can be that our sense of time changes. Your sense of, you know... Um, There's a story about the early days of San Francisco Zen Center and you know in Zen practice is a little bit more strict than you know practice like like ours here and so everyone's very you know sitting very very much upright and still and facing the wall and then the teacher faces out and is watching everyone sit and there's only one basic instruction besides don't bring a watch, <laughs> which is don't move. <laughs> so you're kind of just sitting and waiting. But the periods are forty minutes and you know, and the teacher's there and he rings the bell. Well, this was a this was a sitting and the students heard the kind of rustling of the teacher's robes. And, you know, they they couldn't look and see what was happening, but people kind of knew that the teacher, Suzuki Roshi, you know, during the sitting, got up. And you kind of hear him slowly, you know, walking out of the room. Okay, you know. And then they're sitting, and sitting, and sitting, and sitting. And it's like a dog who's told to, I mean, I'm not comparing Seems like, but, you know, if you have a dog and you're kind of teaching the dog obedience, you know, it's like, stay. And then the dog, you know, at first they just wait, but then they wait, then they wait, and then they wait. And if you don't do something, they they have to kind of decide whether to break the command or not, right? So they're waiting and waiting. And um, the way my friend tells it, he said, I was sure that he went into his office and fell asleep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> left us all there in agony. And, uh, just when he thought he couldn't take it anymore, is was about to explode, then he hears a kind of rustling and he comes back in and rings the bell. Anyway. So um, this is a little bit connected to what I wanted to talk about, which is um, the idea of what is it to have an undivided experience um, in, in, in meditation? What, or what is it to understand meditation as a process of, of, of healing, of, of resolving, of dissolving the divisions that are within us? And, and time, in a way, is one, one kind of way we might divide experience. Um there's a word in the um, kind of Pali language, the, the, the ancient language that a lot of the, the early Buddhist teachings are are written in. Um, and this word is samadhi. Some of you might be familiar with that word, have heard of that word, samadhi. And it, it turns out that um, in, in the Pali language, so the language of the Buddha, there wasn't one exact word that translates into our word for meditation. yes you know, so we talk a lot about meditation. But what is meditation? And how is meditation understood? Um, so it seems that there are two terms that are pretty close to how we understand the word meditation. One one of the Pali words is bhavana, which is usually translated as cultivation. You know, and very beautiful. You know, this idea of cultivation of of. what I like about cultivation is it has this, at least for me, this sense of like um, this gentle kind of development when a farmer cultivates their crops. You know, it's not like we kind of, you plant it and then you, you know, come on, you know, grow and, you know, kind of yank it out and try to check and how, you know, how's it doing? You you set the conditions, you know, we set the conditions in place. You know, we have to have the, the right soil and the right sun, the right water. So all these different conditions in place and then some kind of magic happens, something that's not in our our control. And so there's a way that, Maybe the path of meditation or spiritual practice is a kind of cultivation. That it's, we take care of what our job is, what our responsibility is. So if, if I'm interested in meditation and kind of developing myself and developing the different capacities that meditation offers, um, I can't control what I experience during meditation, you know. And that's one of the beautiful things. That's one of the exciting things. That's one of the maybe the, the, the terrifying things, is that when we sit down to meditate, you know, it's kind of this challenge. You know, can I stand myself <laughs> for the next thirty minutes, whatever, you know, and to see see what happens and see what this mind, this heart, this this um, environment serves up to us. You know, so we take care of our, our responsibility, our part, to show up, you know, maybe the, maybe the, what, what is, what is, what is that, you know, 99% of life is showing up, you know, it's like, that's, you know, to show up, to come here, it's like, we've already done most of what, what, what we can do. And then to stay, and, to be willing to stay and keep coming back, and when the mind takes us off into the past and the future, and um, happy things to think about or upsetting things to think about or anticipating and th- you know we 're going to come back, come back, be willing to again and again come back, so little by little, something gets cultivated, something gets developed, um, so that 's one one. So the word bhavana is cultivation. Meditation is cultivation. Cultivating this garden of the heart, the mind. And then this other word that's translated as meditation is samadhi. And samadhi is... Um, has a, I think it's, it's fair to say that samadhi has a pretty... Important or pretty exalted place in the Buddhist path. Um, if you've heard of the Eightfold Path, you know the the final. I, I believe that's right. The final, <laughs> the final eighth step is um, complete samadhi or right samadhi. It's like you know, it's the place that the path leads. And what I would so so samadhi is sometimes translated as concentration, um, and and I think that's an okay translation, but one of the unfortunate things about the translation of concentration as uh, of samadhi as concentration is that concentration impl- for some of us can imply a certain kind of effort, certain kind of efforting, certain kind of focusing, you know concentrate, you know, and just get back to it, and, you know, and so we can, we can consciously or unconsciously have the idea that developing samadhi means just trying harder and harder to focus on something. You know, when I mean? we talk about the breath and we talk about all these different ways to be mindful, you know, we can kind of get this idea about samadhi. But Samadhi has a lot of different meanings, a lot of different ways that it's translated, a lot of different flavors. But what I like and what I think captures the kind of, uh, the most helpful uh, sense of samadhi is that samadhi means to bring together, to gather, to gather all of who we are, to unify ourselves. You know, that has a little, for me, it has a little bit of a different flavor what is it to unify the mind to unify the heart and mind to gather in to gather ourselves um maybe we could say that's a little bit in contrast to being fragmented you know all the different ways that we're we're pulled and divided um so samadhi has this flavor of being gathered being centered um being integrated, you know I love the word in- to integrity and integration, and there's something very um, very natural about that, and very gentle about it that to gather something in to bring something together um, it 's not it 's not done out of force it 's actually and this is one of the it was one of the big learnings for me it was surprises is that it's said in 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 the, uh, the the early buddhist tradition that the the proximate cause of samadhi is happiness is ease is well-being you know wow you know so it's not about just try harder and harder and harder and get rid of anything that's getting in the way of of this kind of concentration. Um, It's actually about um, little by little nurturing a sense of ease and joy and delight and happiness and how, you know, there's a skill to finding that quality of well-being within us. And little by little, we cult, maybe that's where the cultivation comes in, you know, this bhavana. When we cultivate well-being, the natural fruit of that, the natural outcome of that is samadhi. Um, one of the words I like for samadhi is the word wholeness. You know, to be whole. Um... And so I'll maybe just go back a little bit and, and, and share this one story. Um, there's, a, you know, in the, in the tradition, and um, in the Buddhist tradition, a lot of the ways that teachings have been transmitted have been through stories or dialogues between, uh, you know, whether it was the Buddha, who was the teacher, and going around, and talking to to people to students to um, people who are interested in practicing, or in the in the later traditions, you know there 's kind of like the master and the disciple and one of these stories uh, it goes something one of these dialogues is the the student asks the master um, what is um, what does it mean to practice?" Uh, to meditate correctly, to, you know, so to practice correct samadhi and observe true reality. What does it mean to practice samadhi, practice correct samadhi, practice correct meditation and observe true reality? And the master answers, maybe a little bit cryptically, um, A coin that is lost in the river is found in the river. A coin that is lost in the river is found in the river. Got it? (laughs) Um, One of the ways that we might understand this or start to unpack this is, to think about what is the river. And maybe we could say that the river is the flow of our life, the flow of experience. You know, when we sit down to meditate and have, you know, at least a little bit of an intention towards being still and being quiet. We notice that things are changing. Things, you know, the nature of experience is is, is change, is just ceaseless change. So sometimes this is understood as a flow, you know, this flow of life. Um, when, I know for myself, when I'm, when I'm caught up in my thinking, or caught up in some story, life feels really fixed, life feels really solid, especially my problems. <laughs> Seem very solid. <laughs> Um, but but when we get a little bit quiet, we notice that actually the nature of experience is a flow. So this kind of river of experience, and then so a coin, a coin that's lost in the river, um, a coin. Maybe we could say stands for something that is valuable to us, something that's meaningful to us, some kind of treasure, something that's important and maybe we could say that each of us finds our way into this practice because we feel you know maybe consciously or unconsciously that we've lost something you know something's missing you know maybe you know we may know exactly what it is we may be we may be grieving a certain kind of loss or it may just be a kind of sense of Um, something's missing. Um, So this is the coin. This is the jewel. Sometimes it's called the jewel that's lost in the river is found in the river. And so what is it to say that what we feel is missing is to be found right here, right here, you know, where we think we've lost it, You know, right here in the flow of our life, exactly as it is. You know, we tend to look beyond, out there. There's got to be something or someone or, you know. So I think there's something radical about this answer that is turning us back. Um, You know, one of my teachers likes to say that we all come to practice with the feeling that life as it is is the problem and part of the the you know the journey of practice or the journey of insight is to see that yes life as it is is the problem but life as it is is also the solution life as it is is also the answer that what we're looking for is nowhere else can't be anywhere else than right here, and and with that understanding, so what is it? To, what is it to approach our life, to orient ourselves with that understanding that everything I need is here, that I have everything I need to wake up, you know, to to um, to understand who I am and the, the and the nature. nature of things. Um, So for me, this is like a a, um, a really, uh, like if we, if we, if we understand this point, then our whole orientation towards ourselves can shift. and so and so, maybe we could say that the, the the task of spiritual practice of Buddhist practice is in some way to um, come to terms or to come to peace or to come to harmony with life as it is and and I would say that um maybe we could go one step beyond that rather than to just come to a, a kind of grudging acceptance of, oh yeah, okay, this is the way it is and things change and this happens. And that. Um, what inspires me is this idea of bowing to life as it is. You know, what is it to bow to life as it is? Um, and it, and it, within this, it has this understanding that, um, all of the Dharma is expressed, is manifest in this moment. You know, It's not like there's some secret, hidden truth that only if I practice a lot or am a certain kind of person or somehow earn this privilege, then I'll be able to see how things are. It's like each moment, life is, uh, the dharma is revealing itself to us. You know, the tr- and, and dharma is another Pali word, or dharma, dharma, is another word that means um, the truth of how things are. You know, so it's like um, the, the impermanent, interconnected nature of being. This is Dharma. And this is again and again uh, presenting itself to us. It's not hidden. Um, and so but I think to open to open to Dharma, to open to this truth, it requires maybe we could say this. Um, uh, Understanding of wholeness, this understanding that we need to uh, part of accepting life as it is or bowing to life as it is means taking the parts we like and the parts we don 't like you know and so so this idea of, of Samadhi as wholeness um, I find inspiring, and I find that it 's um, It's the way I understand it is that this wholeness is means this capacity to um, be with all of who I am and all, all of the different aspects of who I am and all of the different um, dimensions of this moment. I think usually. We, and especially in meditation, we can see this. We're trying to shape our experience. We're trying to get more of what we want and get away from what we don't want. And this is, a, this is an important, this is a good thing to know how to do well. Um, but in, in meditation, um, what is it to approach wholeness as a kind of total acceptance, total acceptance of who I am? A total acceptance of this moment independent of the content, independent of the flavor of the moment um, does that does that make sense is that, um, and then and then, so, what I would say is when we can take our experience whole and let go for just a little bit for just a few moments of this you know, I was talking about looking at the clock, but this this, this way that we're always dividing, we're always um, interpreting, we're always analyzing, when we can relax that, that muscle in the mind, the natural result of that, maybe, is this samadhi, is this state, or is this, um, experience of of centeredness, of of, of gatheredness, of unification. Um, And, it, and it's interesting, it's like, st- you know, it's stillness and quiet and calm. Is, is not something that can be forced. One of the ways I think about it is like, if, here not so much, but where I grew up in New York City, the tap water was often cloudy. I don't know if anyone remembers that. You turn on the tap and you would have this like glass of, well, <laughs> nice white water. And the only way to have a clear glass of water, I mean, there's nothing you could do, right? We couldn't stir it up. You couldn't, you know, add something to it. The only way to um, make that water settle and become clear and become still was just to leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Totally leave it alone. Don't touch it. Don't do anything. And then, all of a sudden, it was clear. And, you know, there are many different styles of meditation and many different approaches to meditation. And I think there's certainly a place for effort. And there's certainly a place for technique. But actually... (laughs) As it turns out, the best technique is to leave ourselves alone. (laughs) And little by little, we're learning that we have the capacity and the trust um, to be with ourselves as we are. To be with our mind as it is, and the mind is going to think things, and it's going to come back, feelings are going to come up, the body's gonna do what it does. But to just be able to stay, and with patience, with kindness, and be willing to experience ourselves as we are. You know, so I'm saying to leave ourselves alone. Um, it turns out that not only is this incredibly healing, and we're not, we're not fighting with ourselves anymore, So we're we're relaxing a kind of inner conflict. When that can be relaxed, the water's clear. The mind is clear. It's right there. It's the nature of water to be clear. When it's not stirred up, it's the nature of the mind to be clear. When it's not stirred up, when it's not stirred up by our, our compulsive... Um, you know, uh, grasping and resisting. So, um, you know, we're, we're so we're sort of setting the conditions in place to a, to to trust enough to trust that this moment is um, an okay place to be. It may not feel perfect. It may be, okay, well, it's, it's noisy and this and that, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's, you know, I'm tired or this or that, um, but it's okay. It's okay, I can stay here and, and, and let myself have the experience I'm having. So this kind of radical permission, this is, um, this can, um, even though it's it's not really a technique, right? You know, it's just kind of kind of leaving ourselves alone. But this can um, open the the channels for into the depths of well being. You know, we're not fighting and not resisting anymore. Um, something very nourishing is allowed to. Uh, reveal itself. Um, so, so, and, and the kind of samadhi that is revealed is its nature is non-conflict. Its nature is peaceful. Um, and what uh, many practitioners have discovered and remarked upon is that without, without, you know, it's not like we're kind of going back into our past and healing all these conflicts and figuring, oh, why did, oh, now I know why they did what they did and blah, blah, blah. We're just, we're just sitting here and doing nothing and letting ourselves be. But actually, there can be something tremendously um, feeling about this, and, and what many meditators uh, have remarked upon is that um, this kind of practice, with, without necessarily trying to change ourselves, it can actually um, in some ways rewire us. Like I know, one of my teachers, he talked about um, this distinction. Some of you might have heard this between um, insight meditation and um, samatha meditation, which is kind of samadhi, right? You know, another another way of saying samadhi. And they're not really different things, but they can be understood as different things. And so he and so so he was saying. In insight practice, which is, you know, the way I would understand that is cultivating very strong mindfulness, very strong awareness to see exactly what's happening as it's happening. You know, that's, you know, um, that mindfulness or or insight practice um, can... Can teach us about the nature of conditioning. It can it can show us that um, everything is m- impermanent. You know, great. It was beautiful. That's 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 um, uh, that's considered like the insight in <clears throat> insight meditation. But he was saying that while while for him insight practice revealed his conditioning and revealed the emptiness or the impermanence of his conditioning, it was actually through samadhi practice that he felt changed his conditioning. And um, and, and the way he described that change was that it changed his conditioning from being, a, being wired primarily in a, in a fear-based way to being wired primarily in a, in a love and compassion-based way. And you think about, wow, okay, you know, good. it's pretty good. You know what I, I can certainly, I, I wouldn't say I've gone, I certainly wouldn't say I've gone beyond fear, but when I think about in my, my early um, practice and just noticing how Refle- reflexive, is that a word? You know, how it was, so it was like the re- fear was like the primary response. The, you know, it's like something happened, fear. Something happened, fear. you was just noticing. And um, w- without, without consciously going into that fear, working on that fear, just to have this experience of wholeness, of integration, of... Um, of the kind of goodness and well-being that samadhi can offer, um, it kind of, yeah, I don't know. In a way, s- settles the system or rewires the system in some way. The, one of the images that the Buddha gives for samadhi is that it's like a, it's like a, a very still, serene lake that's in the mountains, and that lake is fed from underneath. You know, it's the source of the water, the source of, of this goodness, the source of this well-being comes from us. And, and usually in life, we tend to look outside of ourselves for well-being. We tend to look outside of ourselves for joy, for satisfaction, for, I mean, I certainly look forward to, you know, the next meal, <laughs> the ne- you know, whatever, whatever kind of, um, pleasurable sensory or sensual experience, or, you know, pl- pleasant experience of the mind, food for the mind. We read things, we watch things, we, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all good, it's a, you know, but what is it to have the experience of being so satisfied, so pleased, but it's something that wells up from us from deep within us? And so it's said that when we have that experience, or when we we cultivate that, and it's not like it's a you know, it's not a binary of you you either have that or you don't. It's like we're all we're all capable of deepening. Samadhi, and it, there's a and there's a range of it, you know, and I think we know that we know the kind of the joy and and um, satisfaction when we get absorbed in an activity that we love, we lose ourselves in the activity. Um, so it's said that when we have this experience of this deep wellspring, that 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 this satisfaction comes from within us there's a kind of shift in our understanding and we say, Oh, I don't need, I don't have to be dependent on, you know, um, what's going on out there. I don't have to be dependent on someone else or all the conditions to line up just right, to be happy, that there, that there's a kind of happiness that's, that's, um, that's within us. That's our nature. That's available to us. Um, I could go on and on, but I did just peek at the clock, and I, um, I wanted to end with this poem, which is a, um, I just kind of was reminded of it recently. Um, in the tradition, there is this wonderful practice of masters Writing a poem that um, expresses their awakening, their you know what they've learned, what they've discovered, what they feel um, was, is the essential truth that they've that they've experienced, and this is this is a poem by a one of one of the one of the ancestors in the, in the in the Buddhist lineage from Japan. Um, her name uh, was Chiono, and she was considered one of the first Zen masters from Japan, and had her own her own um, training temple. So she writes. So this is her enlightenment poem. With this and that. I tried to keep the bucket together and then the bottom fell out. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together and then the bottom fell out. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell one of the um, you know so it was, there was this image of of water with the the story I told at the beginning of this river of life when we lose something um, you know the 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 coin the jewel that's lost in the river is found in the river is found in 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 the flow of things, um, with this image of water, maybe it would you know just to, just to share that in in Buddhist imagery, the moon often stands for awakening. The moon stands for um, the infinite, the unlimited, the unconditioned, and then water is kind of like all of the conditions of our life, right? This flow, this flow of experience. And and so it's said that even though the moon is unlimited, the moon is infinite, the whole of the moon is expressed, is reflected in the tiniest drop of water. Right? In the tiniest most you know in the biggest lake, in the tiniest dew drop This limited, tiny thing is actually, uh, contains the infinite. You know, the infinite is reflected in it. You know, so this is the kind of poetic Buddhist uh, background to this. And then she says, with this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. So the bucket is, you know... I, you know, however you understand, but the bucket is this container, maybe, this container. can this, all these containers walking around, right? And we know what it's like to try to keep things together, right? To try to keep our life together. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing to do. So with this and that, I try to keep the bucket together and then phew, the bottom fell out. You know, so this, this form, this container broke open. And in, it, in this, so when we have our bucket, we have uh, the water, it's very nice, and the water can reflect the moon. But then she's saying that there's something even beyond that. When the Bottom of the bucket breaks down, and the the water goes everywhere. There's no water. There's there's no no water, no moon. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. So the moon can't reflect anymore. Right? The water's gone. No water, no moon. Maybe we can understand this as saying that even these categories of enlightenment and delusion are in some way um, limited. And so, we, so she's expressing something beyond that even, that um, what, may, what maybe we could call life as it is. In life as it is, the distinctions of delusion and enlightenment don't really make much sense. You know, so they say, you know, from the perspective of of our limited mind, the, the, you know, ordinary beings, from the perspective of delusion, there's delusion and enlightenment, right? There's Buddhas and ordinary beings. But from the perspective of awakening, (coughs) there's just life as it is, you know. So... With this and that, I tried to keep the bucket together. And then the bottom fell out. Where water does not collect, the moon does not dwell. So, no water, no moon includes the water. It includes the moon. It includes all of us just as we are.